Thanks for watching today at wildwoodchurch.com. Now here's today's message. Turn your Bibles, please, to Proverbs 19.11. So there I was yesterday, ankle deep in uh, mud, mending fences between my cows and the horses that we board because the cows discovered they could squeeze between the trailer and the fence and push it over and get to the, the, the horse hay, which is much better. It's the good stuff. And they figured that out, and, and so here I am having to deal with this situation and mending the fence, and, and I'm stuck in the I've got my muck boots on, but here I am ankle deep in, uh, in this muddy mix. And, you know, I'm, I'm using tools, and I'm setting tools down and, and, and picking it up, and it's all over my hands. And I go to, to wipe my nose, you know, scratch my nose, and kind of hit my mouth a little bit. I'm trying to find a clean section on my hand, and... And, and then it hit me that this is not simply mud that I'm standing in. And I realized I was not prepared for this when I agreed to board these horses. And then the thought crossed my mind, all the times that we host people at our home, they come over, you know, we do these, these parties at the pastor's, and, and we hosted um, in June a missions bonfire, and repeatedly people say, this is a beautiful place. You know, they're, they're blown away. The horses are majestic. Uh, it's funny to see the goats jump on uh, uh, spools and, and for them to play with each other. And, and, and the reality is that we are blessed with the property that we have, and, and the Lord has allowed us to, to build what we've built out there, a little micro hobby farm. But what people see when they come on those days is the glory of the micro farm. What they don't see is six inches deep in livestock sewage, mending fences, and tasting some of it. In a similar way, we put on our best face with our marriage. When we come here, it would be kind of weird if, if you acted here the way that sometimes you act at home. You'd probably be asked, are you okay? You, need some, you, need, you might need to leave acting this way. But we do. We put on our best face. We present an image of glory but the reality is that back home and in real life, you're standing six inches in muck, right? Marriage is tough. And, and the reality is over the last several months, the Lord has shown me that, I mean, for whatever reason, I, I've always known this, but for whatever reason, the Lord has, has, has recently opened my eyes that even people with seemingly really strong, solid marriages, there's some really deep, hurts and some really hard things to deal with. And I thought, you know, I, I, I know that at some point Romans will deal with this. I'm sure at some point in the next year and a half to two years as we continue to look at Romans that marriage is going to be there. But I felt like today as we consider the new year uh, that it would be good for us to take one sermon and look at what the Bible has to say about offense. 
in, in one of my favorite TV shows. I'm almost ashamed to say it's one of my favorites, uh, The Office. In one of the episodes, Angela, who is this cold Christian, uptight, the stere- what, what the world wants to stereotype Christians, uh, she, she looks at the camera and she says that uh, she and her sister, who used to be her best friend, got into an argument. And they haven't spoken in 16 years. And she said, I don't even remember what caused the argument. And with a smug grin on her face, she says, so yeah, I'm pretty good. In other words, she was good at holding a grudge. She was pretty good at getting offended and letting that simmer. And unfortunately, what I have found is that many of us have gotten pretty good at holding an offense, holding a grudge, getting angry and allowing that to to stay with us long after we've forgotten what it was that offended us. So I thought, why not look at what the Bible has to say about offense? Maybe if we will consider these biblical principles, 2024 will be a more kind, forgiving, and maybe happy. Don't we want that? Don't we want to be joyful in our marriage? And in our relationships, as I was reflecting on the marital woes that, that I and other elders and, and biblical counselors have shepherded our people through over the last year, I, I began to, to scratch out some, some, some commonalities, and I really just asking the Lord to, to show me where he wanted me to go with this. And on the opposite side of the binder that I was writing in, I had stuck a sticky note as a personal memory verse, if you, if, you wonder where, if you wonder where I'm coming from with this sermon, I had a sticky note for a personal memory verse, which was Proverbs 19.11. And I thought to myself, why don't we go there? Now, before I begin, I, I want to make a disclaimer. There are some real problems that people need to deal with. I'm not suggesting that in a marriage, that there's nothing that really needs to be worked through. There are things that need to be confessed and confronted and corrected in marriage. But may I humbly posit that most of what gets our feathers ruffled and most of what causes offense does not rise to that occasion. Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. When I saw that verse there, it occurred to me that if people will believe what that says and apply what that says, then marriages would be much healthier. Now, again, not to say that there's not real sin that needs to be dealt with. We'll we'll talk about that in a moment. But the Bible says it is one's glory to overlook an offense. Now, before we begin to look at what I'm calling the spirit of offense, 
Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace. Lord, you have overlooked so many offenses in me and in us. And you, you've told us in your word that it is our glory to do the same to others. Now, Lord, this calls for discernment and wisdom of what you desire that we overlook and what you desire that we confront lovingly. But you have given us the Holy Spirit. And James tells us that if we desire wisdom, that we should ask for it. And so we do. And I pray that you would bless marriages in 2024. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I realize that in, in preaching a sermon on marriage, that I might alienate some of you because some of you are not yet married. Well, this is where wisdom says, listen now in advance and, and take heed and you'll thank me later. But there might be some of you who are not married and you know you don't ever plan to be. Either the Lord has said, I've got you uh, on this track, you, you're never gonna be married, or you've been married and, and those days are beyond you and, and there's other relationships that this same principle or these principles will bless your life if you follow them as well. So don't check out just because you're not married this morning. So what is the spirit of offense? The spirit of offense, because the sermon title is, for better or for worse, resisting, or biblical principles for resisting the spirit of offense. So what is the spirit of offense? The spirit of offense is not some mystical force. You don't need to go home and exercise your house and cast out the spirit of offense. I don't think that the enemy even needs to dispatch one of his minions for you to be offended. James tells us that we fight and we quarrel and we do all sorts of wicked things, not because the enemy has sent a spirit but because of passions at war within us. We get offended because we want to be offended. If we didn't, we wouldn't, at least generally speaking. Now, the spirit of offense is not an external evil force. It's something much more sinister than that. It's an internal bitterness that is birthed out of the selfish sin nature it's the sin of irritability. It's the refusal to exercise radical forgiveness in obedience to Jesus. Do you remember that Jesus said something about forgiveness? Something about 70 times seven, right? He commanded us to do radical forgiveness. It's a refusal to do that. It's having a hair trigger. You know what I'm talking about? This is, what, this is what we refer to as walking on eggshells. When you have to walk on eggshells around someone, it's because they have a spirit of offense. They're easily offended and they're hard to please. Now look, that's a hard pill to swallow. I just said that you get offended because you want to be offended. But that's the truth. And we need to come face to face with the truth. We can live in delusion 
And we can be victims of everyone else, or we can accept the truth that we get offended because we want to be offended. So many of our woes in our marriage originate not from without, but from within. And so the solution is not deliverance, but repentance. Now there's a difference between being offended and having a spirit of offense. If you're in any relationship at all, you have plenty of opportunities to offend and to be offended. We all have our own preferences. I have mine, my wife has hers, each of you has yours. And gasp, sometimes my preferences don't match perfectly with hers and vice versa. And we have the opportunity to be offended. But we cross the line into a spirit of offense when rather than dealing with the offense biblically, we begin to nurse the offense. We begin to dwell on it. Let it simmer. Let it take root in our hearts. What the Bible calls the root of bitterness, which not only hurts us, but it hurts everyone around us. Hebrews 12, 15 says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And look here, and by it many become defiled. The Bible says that if you have a root of bitterness in your heart, many people will be defiled by it. It's gonna affect your marriage. It's gonna affect your friendships. It's going to ooze out. You're gonna offend other people. You're gonna invite other people into the offense, knowingly or unknowingly. That root of bitterness spreads like all roots do. If you think that you can harbor bitterness in your heart, if you think you can nurse the offense in your heart without it impacting every other relationship in your life, then you are wrong. Now, whether the offense comes from a real slight or a perceived slight, the feeling is real, right? We can agree on that. Whether, whether our loved one, our friend, our spouse meant to hurt us or not, the feeling, the pain, the sadness or the anger, that's real. Now, you may not have a choice in feeling what you feel, but you do have a choice in what you do with what you feel. There are times when the only healthy solution with the offense or, or to the offense with your spouse is that you confront your spouse, that you speak, that you share. And, and maybe there are things that are so hurtful that you need to enlist the help of other people, mutually trusted other people. I am so thankful for the wonderful biblical counseling ministry that we have at Wildwood Church. And you might need to invite someone into this discussion, in this conversation, because the hurt and the pain 
are so deep. But dare I say that most of the offenses in our life come from our own sin nature and simply need to be overlooked and even repented of. Now, hold on, Brian. You, you, you're saying that because, because I'm offended at my spouse because of something they did that I need to repent? Yep. Yep. Maybe. And we'll get to that in just a moment when I present three questions for us to examine whether you need to repent or they need to repent. Some of what causes us to be offended is our own sin nature. Like I said, it's just like James says, we war and we, we fight and we quarrel because of passions that are at war within us. Now, there are exceptions, and bearing in mind the exceptions where you need to pull someone else into the conversation or you need to, to lovingly confront your spouse, what do we do with the average every day you irritate me with your mouth-breathing self-offenses. What do we do with those? Proverbs 19, 11 gives us the answer. It is one's glory to overlook an offense. But how do we know what to gloriously overlook and what to confront in the manner of Matthew 18, 15? Because the Bible says this too. Jesus says this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. So how do we know what to gloriously overlook and what to confront? I see two ways that people err. And when I say people, might as well insert Brian. I had to apologize to my wife this morning as I read my sermon. I want to get that out preemptively. I see two ways that I've erred and that maybe you also err. And both bring destruction or harm to relationships. The first is to passive aggressively ignore offenses while holding it against your spouse. You take Proverbs 19 11, you say overlook an offense. All right, fine, I'm not gonna talk about it. I'm still gonna punish you for it. That's one way to err. And the other way is to be nitpicky. Jesus says, tell your brother how they've offended you. Fine, I'm going to tell you everything. And you get super critical. I think in Matthew 18, Jesus was giving us a method to deal with legitimate sin that needs to be confronted. It shouldn't be ignored. And let me insert right here. Because I, I, I don't doubt that there are people that are either here or watching online that when they hear the word offense, what's actually happening is abuse. Spiritual, emotional, physical, sexual abuse. That, does not, that is not what we're talking about with overlooking offense. That is sin that needs to be confronted. So please don't hear me say that if your spouse is abusing you, that you just need to overlook that. 
But most of what we're talking about in most marriages, most of the stuff that causes us to have a, just a, I don't want to use that word, a bad attitude is stuff that you just need to get over and recognize you're a sinful person and your spouse is a sinful person. And you each have conflicting preferences. But we also need to keep in mind that not every offense against us needs to be addressed. 1 Peter 4, 8 says this, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Now, he wasn't speaking to marriage, but it certainly applies to marriage. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. You said, I do. That happened. You stood before God and the witnesses in the congregation, and you said, God, for better or for worse, I'm gonna love this person. Keep earnestly loving that person because love covers a multitude of sins. Clearly not every misdeed deserves equal treatment. Some things you simply need to overlook and to cover. As Kelly put it this morning, sometimes we just have bad days. That's true. Sometimes your spouse has a bad day and they don't give you what you think you deserve. And because you love them earnestly, you simply overlook it. You simply cover that because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, I counsel people that anything that they cannot genuinely forgive and move on from ought to be confronted and dealt with according to Matthew 18. If you can't forgive and move on, if this is gonna be in the back of your mind and, and, and you can't get past this, then you need to confront that according to Matthew 18. You ought to lovingly tell your husband or your wife what they've done, pursuing reconciliation. But so little of what offends us rises to that level. So your husband left the toilet seat up and it's three o'clock in the morning and it's dark and you fall in. Does that require Matthew 18 discipline? Maybe if it's a pattern of disregard for you, maybe. But maybe you just need to nurse your bruised pride and cover over. Like I said, if it's a pattern of disregard, then the problem is not leaving the toilet seat up. The problem is disregard. You're living here as if I don't live here. That's a problem. But don't let these one-offs put a chip on your shoulder. That's what I see. That's what happens to me. One-off. Chip on the shoulder. Offense. Either critical 
or passive aggressive. Right? <laughs> she asked me if I was preaching this to her. I said, no, I'm preaching to myself. Doesn't it sound familiar? This is convicting. Right? So what does the Bible say? How do we discern between overlooking offense, tell your brother that he sinned against you? How do we discern? I think three biblical principles here, three questions to ask. And by the way, this will come out next Sunday in the Chronicle article. I think it's one of those things that... that would be helpful for you to hear it in person and to have it in written form. And so you can take some notes, but just know that it's going to be available to you in written form next week. Three questions the next time you feel the spirit of offense, right? Which is probably going to be this afternoon. Let's be realistic, right? Number one, is this a case of mismanaged expectations? I use the term mismanaged expectations rather than the common phrase, which is what? What's the common phrase? Unspoken expectations, right? Well, the key to a happy marriage, the key to peace in a relationship is not simply that you speak your uh, your expectations. It is not simply that you tell your spouse what you expect. There's more to this, right? Because a, a, a marriage, like all relationships, is give and take. So I use the term mismanaged expectations. Expectations ought to be negotiated. It's fine for you to have expectations, but just speaking those expectations is not going to be what brings peace to your marriage. Have you had a discussion? We have lots of fights, Brian. No, have you had a discussion? Have you had a discussion about your expectations? And have you both agreed that those are fair? That's the key. Are your expectations of your spouse fair? And have you agreed on them? That's what I'm talking about when I say mismanaged expectations. You have expectations. Perhaps you've even vocalized your expectations. But you've not managed them. Because you've not negotiated You've not sought input. You've not considered your spouse, how this affects him or her. The Bible tells husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. It also tells wives to submit to their husbands and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I hope that what you see here is mutual care and love and respect. And those are necessary to manage expectations appropriately. Husbands, you got to live with your wife in an understanding way. You got to put that toilet seat down. Wives, you need to respect your husband, recognizing that God has built in him a, a, a need to be respected by his wife. There's mutual care. Mutual love and mutual respect. Mismanaged expectations will always cause one or more of the following emotions. 
sadness. That's what a person feels when they believe that their expectations are not met. Anger is what sadness turns into when a person feels that their expectations repeatedly go unmet. Anxiety is what others feel who are desperately trying to live up to your expectations. And shame is what they feel when they realize that they haven't. In every relationship, there's a mutual responsibility that you manage your expectations. Because when those expectations are not managed well, you can be sure that your relationship is going to be characterized by those emotions. Sadness, anger, anxiety, and shame. Now, by show of hands, how many of you want 2024 relationships to be characterized by those four emotions? You continue to mismanage your expectations, and that's what you'll get. Second question. Is there a log in my own eye? People often misquote Jesus in Matthew 7 1, where he says, Judge not, lest you be judged. They typically do this to justify their own sin. They usually will, will say this when they're being confronted in sin. But in context, Jesus is warning people not to judge others in a way that they're not willing to be judged. It's hypocrisy. Jesus is warning against hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is expecting of others what you do not expect of yourself. That you, that you require others around you in relationship with you to live in a way that you yourself are not willing to live. Jesus' guidance in that section, in that passage of Scripture, is that you first take the log out of your own eye and then remove the speck from your brother. Now, of course, Jesus is speaking in hyperbole. It's, it, it, what he's suggesting, if you get the, the imagery, is that you have a two-by-four sticking out of your eye and you walk up to your brother or sister in Christ, your, your spouse, and you say, ah, I see you've got a little speck in your eye. Let me take that out for you. Jesus says, first deal with a log sticking out of your own eye. And while it's hyperbole, I see a principle here. Whenever you feel that urge to get critical or to be helpful, let me see, let me, hold on, just hold on. There's a little speck right there. Whenever you feel the urge to go ahead and do some eye surgery to, to, to remove the speck from your brother's eye, or in this case, your, your spouse's eye, maybe step back and say, Lord, are you revealing to me that I've got a log sticking out of my own? What I have found is that when I am critical of other people, when I'm noticing small things, 
in the best of situations, when I step back, the Lord has shown me that there was a much bigger sin problem in my own life. That my critical response was covering this sin problem that the Lord wanted me to deal with first. And typically, not always, but typically, when I was able to step back and say, okay, Lord, I see what you're showing me. I see this big thing sticking out of my eye and I repent of that. Suddenly the offense goes away. Suddenly the need to take the speck out of my brother's eye or spouse's eye goes away because the reality is that the the problem was me, not my spouse. So do you have a log sticking out of your eye? Third and final question is what am I clinging to? Paul tells us in Philippians 2, 5, and 6, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, Jesus did not cling to what was rightfully his. Instead, for you, he let that go. In other words, he gave up his rights. He denied himself. He emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. And Paul says that you also ought to have the same mind as Christ, who refused to cling to what was rightfully his. But instead, for you, he gave it up. So the next time that you find yourself offended or irritated or angry or perturbed or irritated, frustrated, sad, offended in any way, ask yourself, what am I really clinging to? And then ask yourself, how can I cling to Christ instead? The sin nature in us is much worse than we really think it is. Here's the cold, hard reality. And if you're visiting with us this morning, I'm sorry. But you are much worse than you think you are. That's a hard truth for me to swallow. I am much worse than I think I am. And so are you. And the Lord is using your relationships to sanctify you from one degree of glory to another. That means it's slow. It's over time. It's it's this grueling, grinding process. Paul says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image, image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit uses your marriage relationship to sanctify you, to make you more like Jesus. There's going to, 
the Bible says iron sharpens iron. What happens when you put iron against iron? Sparks fly. There's going to be activity when two sinful people take up in the same home and they say, I do, for better or for worse. Why do we even say that? In the most glorious moment of a marriage, the wedding, we talk about for worse because it's real and we all know it. But somehow, for some reason, we say, ah, thought we were the exception. When we said for worse, thought that was a formality. It's real. The more you resist the sanctifying process, the more painful it becomes. So I encourage you to seek the Lord and ask him to reveal to you hard issues. What are you really clinging to? Now look, if you just write these questions down and you go, okay, you offended me, let me ask these three questions so that I can then get into your face and tell you how you've been wrong. Don't expect anything marvelous to come out of this. These are questions for you to step back and say, okay, Lord, search my heart. Show me what I'm clinging to. Because right now, I'm hurt, angry, frustrated, irritated by this love of my life. I need you to show me what's going on in my heart. Perhaps it's pride. I'll give you a few things. Maybe it's pride. Bruised egos cause us great discomfort. You know that? Of course you do. Bruised egos cause us great discomfort. Maybe you think that you've been disrespected or disregarded or disgraced. You've been embarrassed. When you feel that your pride has been hurt, you're tempted to lash out in order to restabilize your ego. You've been hurt, hurt back. Bring that pride, that ego back into stability. Vindicate yourself. Prove that you really are a respectable person that ought to be regarded. Prove it. Make them feel as though they are not. Right? So I say that we are worse than we think we are. Now, some people, the root issue is ease or comfort. And any disturbance of ease or comfort is met with offense. Any inconvenience, any request outside of the normal bounds of the relationship. You know, we all have these boundaries in our own mind. Whether we, whether we communicate them or not, we all have boundaries. And anything outside of that boundary for someone that is clinging to ease and comfort is going to be met with offense. Maybe you're clinging to a life of ease. I want my life to be easy. I don't want to be inconvenienced by you. I want you to do everything 
for me, but I don't want to go outside the bounds of this relationship for you. Perhaps the thing that you crave is attention, or what you're clinging to is attention. And, and you seek that from other people. You, you want to be fulfilled by someone else. You need attention. And when you don't get the attention that you think that you deserve, you act like a kindergartner. Because negative attention is attention. Or maybe it's you feel the need to be appreciated. You're clinging to that. What I did for you deserves more appreciation than what you gave to me. I deserve appreciation. I deserve to be recognized. And you didn't. And so I'm gonna punish you. I'm offended by that. I'm gonna punish you. I'm clinging to appreciation. I'm gonna punish you for that. Maybe the thing that you cling to is simply yourself. You're just selfish. You're just a selfish person. You are one self on a planet filled with six billion selves. And somehow in your mind, you believe that yourself is the most important self and that what you want matters most. Just before Paul said these things, in Philippians 2, he said, consider everyone else more significant than yourself. The way that you ought to think, if you want to think like Christ, is that everyone else in the world is more important than you, including your spouse. What are you clinging to? Are you clinging to yourself? I've got my rights. I've got my desires, my preferences. And that's what matters most in this relationship. You know, maybe the issue that, you're, that has you constantly offended is a wound. Maybe your mom or dad didn't show you the kind of affection or attention or care that they should have. Or maybe someone took advantage of you and traumatized you, wounded you. And now every relationship in your life is marked by mistrust, skepticism or cynicism, you have a hard time loving, respecting your spouse. Your guard is always up because you're convinced that when the next shoe falls, your spouse is going to treat you just like that person did who traumatized you. Whatever the case may be, whatever it is that you're clinging to, you will be better off in bringing this to the light of Christ, of exposing it and submitting it to him. 
There's no peace in stuffing this down into the darkness. There's no peace and no joy, and there's no ease in the relationship when one or both partners secretly clings on to something rather than Christ. So ask yourself, and and perhaps more importantly, ask the Holy Spirit, what am I clinging to? that I need to let go. My spouse has to walk on eggshells. Why? Lord, what is it that you wanna deal with in my life? What do I need to let go of? Lord, do I have a log in my eye? Am I offended at my, my spouse because there's something big going on in my heart that, that I have not yet repented of, that I won't go to work on, that I won't put to death. And it's easier to get offended at, at him or her than it is to do business with you. Lord, what expectations do I have that I really just shouldn't have? What are the things that I need to just say, you know what, that's pretty selfish. It's not right for me to expect that of my spouse. So I'm just going to let that go. I'm going to cover over these offenses. I'm going to overlook these offenses. If you can honestly say that you have worked through those questions and, and, and sincerely say that the Lord says, you're not the problem, then Matthew 18, go and tell your brother what he's done. Go and tell your spouse what he's done with a spirit of gentleness, motivated by a desire to be reconciled, not to get revenge. You can know that you did this wrong if when you go and tell your brother his fault, you are seeking revenge. You can know that you've done it wrong. Be slow to anger, quick to forgive. Maybe there are things that the Lord wants you to deal with in your spouse's life. I've searched my heart. I feel like The Lord has given me a a clear conscience, but we need to talk about this, the way you've treated me. And I desire reconciliation. And I want to forgive you, but I I I need you to know this so that you don't continue to do it. But much of what we struggle with and much of what causes us grief is more a matter of our own sin nature and our sensitivities than it is our spouses. And the solution is to overlook it. The Bible says it is your glory to do so. Amen? And Father, we love you.
We thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for the grace that you have bestowed to us. And I pray that we would take that grace into our own marriages. And I pray that you would forgive us where we fail you in doing that. And I pray, Lord, that as we strive to honor you with all of our lives, that chief among our thoughts would be how we live with our spouse and love our spouse and give grace to our spouse. I pray that you would strengthen marriages in Wildwood Church for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much for watching online. I hope that this message has inspired you to greater faith, has encouraged you, maybe convicted or challenged you. We're grateful to be able to provide this content to you online, live and on demand. If you haven't done so already, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube so that we can get this content right to you as soon as we upload it. But you know, we believe that as a follower of Jesus Christ, that you need the body of Christ. You need the local church. And so if you're in the Quad Cities, let me invite you to personally join us in person for our gatherings on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 1040. If you're not in the Quad Cities, I want to encourage you to go find a local church that teaches the Bible, that serves the community, that loves Jesus, that gives grace. Well, hey, thanks again for watching, and we hope that you were blessed.